0: One of the pastors here, and we're so glad that you're here for the last week in our series called Amen. As we deal with the very last couple phrases of this prayer, we also want to say welcome to those of you watching in the parent viewing room. And that's a great place to go if you have little ones that get fussy during the service just past the donuts and coffee. You'll find a room there where you can watch the service live with us. So if you do me a favor and grab your message notes right inside of your bulletin and grab those out. And if you don't have one of those, you can wave down an usher, I'm sure they could help you with one, and grab a pen and do some fill in the blanks so you have something to take with you today. You know, it's been our hope that throughout this series, you've been praying the Lord's prayer as part of your routine, and that you've been feeling the difference that this prayer can make in our hearts. Uh, This all began when the disciples were hanging out with Jesus, and they heard him pray a different way than they had ever prayed. Like they had kind of grown up saying prayers in the synagogue and all of that. But when the disciples heard Jesus pray, there was something inside that prayer that caused them to stop. And they thought and talked about themselves, man, we need to learn to pray like that. And so when Jesus was done, they said, Jesus, we want you to teach us to pray like that. There's something that you have that we don't have. There's some kind of relationship with the Father that we don't have. And we want that kind of relationship. And so Jesus began to lead them into what we know as the Lord's Prayer. And I would just like us to read this together as we finish out this series, and it reads this way. Let's read it together. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Yeah. And so today, we're going to focus on the last part of that prayer that reads, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. What is temptation? Well, right away in your notes, it's your first fill in temptation. It's the lure. It's the pull. It's the attraction to something. Have you ever felt that kind of seduction towards something in your life? that person, that thing, that position, whatever it is. I'm sure we have all been there. And the reason it's called temptation is because inside of every single temptation is this thing that we have to judge between, and it's called risk and reward. Everyone say risk and reward. reward. Look at the person next to you and say risk and reward. Every single temptation carries this thing that we have to choose between. And based on our choice... We fluctuate between will it bring risk or will it bring reward? I can remember several years ago, uh, my wife and I were vacationing uh, with some of my family, her parents, and brother and sister-in-law. We went to Branson, Missouri. And on one of the days, they rented this boat, and we got to go out on this beautiful lake. And here we are boating. And all of a sudden, we came to this spot where there was all these other boats parked. And we were wondering why are all these boats parked, you know, and we pull up and all of a sudden we see why. Because there was a bunch of crazy knuckleheads jumping from a cliff way up there down into the water, right? And we thought, wow, that's really stupid and amazing all at the same time. And suddenly there started to be some peer pressure in the boat, if you know what I'm saying. And, and this peer pressure was encouraging my wife and I to go jump off of this cliff and uh, we'll, re- we'll make sure that they remain nameless uh, but it was my mother and father-in-law who were adding the most pressure, and and so they were like, "Come on, you can do it." Look, and, and you know, when, from down there, it kind of looked pretty, you know, glamorous. <laughs> it was like, "Wow, that's so cool." They're jumping. It really doesn't look that high from here. And suddenly, it was this that cliff began to call to me and say, "You want me, don't you?" You want to defeat me, don't you? And this temptation and this pull, and so I did what you would do. I started, you know, going between risk and reward, and the reward was, man, I could talk about this forever and say that I conquered that thing, because if you know me, I'm deathly afraid of heights, and the risk was was that I would die. And so as I was thinking between those two things, I thought, hey, that's worth it, right? So my wife and I, we jump in the water, and we swim around to the backside of this, like, cliff thing, and we have to climb up this most treacherous hill and it's like just jagged rocks at all it is and it's wet because everyone's been dripping and you know and so it's slippery and so here I am climbing up this thinking to myself what on earth are you doing and about halfway up I realized it was too late I could not go down at this point or I'd die for sure and so I either got to get up on that hill and jump or I've got to go back down which is for sure death and so I might as well risk death and we get to the top we get to the top of this cliff and I can tell you that it is not as glamorous up top as it was down below all right I mean, there was people up there that have been there for like hours and even days thinking about jumping and they just haven't yet. And it's like if this scared bunch of people like, oh, I just can't do it. I just can't do it. Right? And so I walk up to the cliff and I look over and I joined them. I was like, I can't do this. I, I'll be up here for days. There is no way I'm jumping off of that cliff. And suddenly my wife and I were talking, and I thought, well, I can't go back down, and so I might as well just go. And so it was just a mind over matter thing. And I just went one, two, three, and I jumped off that cliff. And I think the whole way down, I was like, I'm such an idiot. You know, and I hit the water, and I lived. Can you believe that? I lived. And I know some of you were, like, on the edge of your seat wondering what happened, but I did. I made it. And and, and so, you know, after that, you know, it was this whole risk-reward thing, and I conquered it, and now I can say, yes, I did it. But when it comes to temptation, every single one of us are faced with this idea of risk or reward. Isn't that true? And we have to decide between, is it something worth the risk? The very first film, the next feeling on your notes, the risk-reward of anything, though, when it comes to temptation, should always give us pause to pray for wisdom. Whenever we're faced with this idea of risk and reward, we should always pause to pray for wisdom. But oftentimes, we don't pray about a temptation. If it's already leading us down a path that we know isn't right or that we know is wrong, we tend to wrestle with it in our own minds about it. And that's why Jesus instructs us in this moment to pray this kind of prayer. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil or the evil one. And what's interesting about this line inside this prayer is that it is intentionally placed after the line that we just got done praying. And maybe you remember what that line was. But we prayed, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation. In other words, Jesus is saying, you just got done asking for forgiveness for the times that you gave into temptation. And so now we wanna pray, now that we've been forgiven, we wanna pray that we don't ever enter back into that again. And so your next fill-in reads this way. We've just prayed that the guilt of our sin might be removed and now we pray against temptation so that we would never return to that place again. It's why we pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I love this verse, Psalm nineteen thirteen says this, keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me, then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgressions. It's praying, God, don't allow me to arrive at a stumbling block that's too great. Because we all know the consequences of sin and the guilt and the grief that comes with those kinds of choices. And maybe you've thought from time to time, well, is it God that leads us into temptation? What is it? Well, James 1, 13 through 15 says this. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. So here it is. He lays it out for us, really simply. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Now, this is really simple to understand and sometimes hard to follow through on. But he lays this out, this pattern for us, that that temptation, once we have decided, right, that this, this idea of tempted, whatever it is, and we balance risk and reward, and suddenly it is conceived in our hearts, and we've decided that we're gonna move forward regardless of the risk, or regardless of what God is telling us to do, regardless of what his word says, that we're gonna move forward. And the Bible says that when we make that choice and we step into that sin, that it gives birth. And now there's that sin active and alive in our lives. And here's what's so interesting, is that the next part of this talks about how Our sin has to get to a place where it's full grown. And oftentimes we can make a bad choice and there's no immediate consequence or whatever it is. And the Bible even says that sin is pleasurable for a season. Like there's actually a little time where it's fun and you're thinking, man, hey, this isn't bad. Risk reward, I'm winning on this thing. But the Bible says that when your sin is full grown, be sure of one thing, that it will lead to death in your life. It will lead to death in every single one of our lives. And that's exactly what the enemy of our souls wants for us. He wants to place destruction in our life. And in fact, he uses the same trick that he's been using since the very beginning of time, the first human beings ever created. If you haven't heard the story of Adam and Eve, we find that story in Genesis 1, 2, and 3. Genesis 1 and 2, God's creating the heavens and earth. And in Genesis 3, God makes Adam and Eve and places them in the Garden of Eden, which is like Hawaii on steroids. I mean, it's the greatest place ever. There's no sin, nothing. I mean, it's just the most beautiful place ever created, and they live in it, and God said this. Hey, listen, you can have anything you want in this garden, but the fruit of this one tree, the fruit of this one tree, you cannot have. This belongs to me. Everything else you can have? So man, I mean, they're like, cool, sounds good, that's a great plan. We get like 99% of this deal, you get 1%, hey, cool with us, we don't understand it, we don't get it, but we don't need to, right? We get it, love the fruit, thank you, God, right? And so they go on their way, well, all of a sudden, the devil comes in the form of a serpent, and comes to Eve in Genesis 3, 1 through 7, and says this, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made, and he said to the woman, hey, Eve, Eve over here, yep. Talking snake? Yes, that's me. Hey, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? See, he's kind of setting her up a little bit. The woman says back, Well, no, 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 no. We may eat from the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God did say, You must not eat fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will. What's that word? Die, right? And so the servant's taking this in. Even Eve understands. There's no miscommunication. She fully understands what God's explanation is and expectation is. And everything up until this point is perfect. You see, everything that God has offered them and us has been broken and distorted by sin. Everything was perfect until Eve gave in to the temptation to eat of that fruit. And when we talk about temptation and risk and reward and all those things, here's what we don't ever talk about, but it's true. And it's your next fill-in: that temptation has the ability to impact your future, your family, and your faith every single time. Temptation has the ability to impact your future, your family, and your faith every single time. And we, every single one of us in the room, we could be one piece of fruit away. We could be one temptation, one decision away from ending up being in a place that we never wanted to be and it costing us more than we ever wanted to pay. Your next feeling, you see, when it comes to temptation, listen to this, I don't want you to miss this because it's so true. When it comes to temptation, we, we try to maximize the reward While minimizing the risk, which is why we fall so often. Have you ever done this? Have you ever tried to maximize the reward in your head while minimizing the risk when it comes to sin or choices that you shouldn't make? You see, this is exactly what the serpent did. Look at this next verse. The serpent responded, you will not certainly die. I mean, come on, Eve, let's talk about this for a minute. Come on, let's minimize the risk here. You're not going to die. And then listen to what he does. He's about to maximize the reward. Here it is. For God knows that when you eat from that tree, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So Eve, come on. You're not going to die, and on the contrary, the reward is you're going to be like God. Your eyes will be open, and suddenly you're going to be like, oh, I've been missing out this whole time. I didn't know that God would keep such a good thing from me, and suddenly the trap has been set. I borrowed this fancy-looking trap from a friend of mine, and this is an authentic trap. I'm not much of a hunter if you hadn't noticed. <laughs> but no, you lay this thing and you like put it in a trail, right? And the animals like a fox or wolf, whatever, start, come run through that path and their foot lands on the trigger. Now I've got one set up here and it's live and it's ready to go. So I would not suggest jumping the stage right now, all right? But suddenly when, when the serpent responded to Eve in that way and said, eh, well, we're going we're to minimize the risk here. We're going to maximize the reward. You're not going to die. You're going to become like God. Suddenly the trap has been set. And you know what's so interesting every time, and you know this is true because we've all been there, is that when we are facing temptation, how is it possible that we only see the reward and we never see the risk? How is it that we are so blinded that we only see the fruit and not the trap? that the enemy is making for us. And you know what? I think every single one of us, we kind of see this playing out in our heads and we can see the snake and we see Eve and we see the trap and we see the tree and we're like, ah, Eve, you know what you should do? And we can almost see ourselves like a movie playing out. And look at what Eve does. After the servant minimizes the risk and maximizes the reward, look at what Eve says. She thinks to herself, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. You see what she just did right there? And we all do it all the time. It's a big old word that starts with an J and it starts with, ends with justification, Justification, right? Justification. That's exactly what Eve did. She minimized the risk because she allowed the enemy to do that, maximized the reward, and when she saw that the fruit, hey, that piece of fruit looks good. Looks like a normal apple. And not only that, I'm going to gain wisdom fruit? I mean, this is a win-win. I mean, how could there be anything wrong? Certainly a God who loves me will not hold back anything good for me. And sometimes we've thought that. Well, God's just holding back something good from me. And yet it really has been his protection all along. So like us, Adam and Eve justified the fruit Minimize the risk, maximize the reward, and they ate of the fruit. And for many of us, we sit here and we read this story and we think, how dumb could you be? Couldn't you see that the enemy was setting a trap for you to not take the apple off the limb, right? And we look we were like, Eve, hello, you were talking to a snake? I mean, like, didn't that like clue you in at all that maybe something wasn't right here? But the truth is that every single one of us have been in that spot. Have you ever made a choice that you've looked back and you've thought to yourself, what was I thinking? How come I couldn't see the trap that was right in front of me? How come I couldn't see that it was gonna cost me more than I ever wanted to pay see, the reason that we can't see the trap because we've minimized the risk and we've maximized the reward and we've started to justify our behavior. It's not that big of a deal. It's not that far beyond my boundary. It's only this once. No one will ever find out. I can always ask for forgiveness later. I really deserve this. And just like Eve, we look at that piece of fruit and we go, it doesn't look that bad after all. And yet the whole time, that piece of fruit is sitting in that trap, waiting for you to decide if you're going to bite, and if I'm going to bite. See, people do this all the time. Your friends have done this. For some of you, your parents have done it. You've missed out on years of relationship with your mom and dad because they traded it in for a pill, for a bottle, for a relationship. Because they bit the apple and it bit back. And what about in our own lives? The temptations that we face to take a shortcut in school because no one will know, to push the bounds of sexuality outside of a marriage relationship to lie just a little in that business deal so that it could go through, to fudge on my finances or my taxes, to drink more than I should, to keep this secret or that one for my spouse, and the list goes on and on, right? We know this. We've all been there. We know that the enemy is never short on temptation. And I believe that this is true, and it's your next feeling, that we give into to temptation not because we aren't smart, but because we don't understand its power, We are all very capable human beings. We're all smart people. But I truly believe it's because we don't understand the power of temptation. And if you were to look around at some of the lives of your friends and families, the ones that have been wrecked out of the lure of temptation, you'd know what I'm talking about. Many destroyed because we didn't follow God's plan, but yet we decided we'd go our own and we minimize the risk and we maximize the reward. We think about it for ourselves how is it possible? that on Sunday morning we can express such love for God and by Sunday night we're doing things we shouldn't do, we're eating things we shouldn't eat, we're watching things we shouldn't see. How is that possible? Because inside every one of us is this desire for something that we shouldn't have, something that could possibly fulfill us to a greater level. We think maybe God's just holding back that fulfillment from us when all the while every single bit of fulfillment it can only be found in him. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever known anybody that has lost their influence, lost their job, lost their family, their marriage or their reputation based on where they went to college or their grade point average? I've never heard of that. Let me ask you a question. Do you know of anybody who has lost any of those things because they gave in to temptation and they said yes to the wrong thing at the wrong time? And all of us have been there and through this temptation, the enemy would whisper to us, the very next filling in your notes, it's the enemy luring us, saying, your eyes will be opened to what you've been missing. Your eyes will be open." Right, he says it to us. Your eyes will be opened as soon as you give in. Your eyes will be opened to what you've been missing this whole time, what God's been holding back from you, the fulfillment that you've been waiting for. I promise you, we're going to minimize the risk and we're going to maximize the reward, and it's really not that big of a deal. And I promise you that if you will bite into that apple, your eyes will be opened. And the enemy does it to, all, to us all the time. He did the same thing to Adam and Eve in verse 7 after they took a bite of the apple. What does it say? Then the eyes of both of them were opened. That part was true. And their eyes were opened, and you know what they realized after their eyes were opened? They realized that they became like God and everything was wonderful. Their eyes were opened and they realized they were naked. And they had given in to the temptation and they were caught in the trap. And the grip of that trap doesn't let go. And the damage is much more than every one of us was even considering. And it's in this moment that we think to ourselves, why did I minimize the risk? How did I not see the trap? Every single one of us have been there And in this moment, when Adam and Eve took a bite of that apple, they realized their eyes were open. But their eyes were open to the realization that they'd been conned and they'd been made a fool of. And now the rest of their lives would bring nothing but death and hardship because of the choice that they made. And that's how the devil works all the time in your next villain, The devil always deals in half-truths. In half truths, your eyes will be open. That part was true. The devil said, Ha ha ha, your eyes will be open, and you'll be like God. And the half truth was their eyes were open, and they realized they were naked, and they realized that they had broken God's instruction, and now they would have to pay the price. See, and for us, that one thing, whatever your thing is, whatever your apple is, I don't know what it is today, but you do. Whatever that one thing is, has the potential to impact your entire future. That thing has the power, has the ability to overpower everything. Even your relationship and your heart from God, it has the ability to overpower your relationship and love for your family. And this is why Jesus instructs us to pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from it. Because he understood the power in that thing. He knew that that thing that we thought we could control is now controlling us. And so we pray, Father, lead us not into temptation. Help us to see the traps that the enemy is laying out for us. And deliver us from evil. Let me ask you a question. What would it look like if we began to pray that every single day? God, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from it. Open my eyes so I could see the reality of it. God, open my eyes to realize the true weight of the risk and not minimize it. And then after this phrase, there's an ending in this prayer that kind of sums it all up. It's a doxology of sorts. As Jesus prays, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. It's coming back to this place of rightful recognition that God, well, I've prayed all this. God, at the end of the day, yours is the kingdom, yours is the power, yours is the glory. This is all for you amen. Do you know what the word amen means and it's the last fill in on your notes? It simply means let it be. Everything that we just got done praying, Father, let it be. Let it be in my life. Let it be for my future. God, let it be for my family. Let it be for me and you and our relationship. Let it be. And so quickly, I just want to review this prayer as it says, our Father who is in heaven. And if you missed any of these weeks, I would encourage you, jump onto riverwaychurch.com, listen back to really understanding the heart behind this prayer that Jesus is inviting us into. But it starts out, our Father who is in heaven and is recognizing that we don't have a distant God, but a personal Father. It makes your prayer time different to know that you're speaking to your Father and not some God that's not listening to you. Hallowed be your name how important it is when we pause right there and just begin to describe how amazing and awesome God is because if we'll stop to take a couple minutes to describe his greatness, our problems become so much more small. Give us this daily bread. It's trusting that he's big enough to take care of all the things in our life. says, your will be done. God, your kingdom come, your will be done. It really means us bending our will to his, not him bending his will towards ours. That through prayer, our will can eventually bend to the Father's. And what we prayed today, or last week, forgive us our trespasses. We forgive those who trespass against us. Understanding there's a marriage that happens in forgiveness, that as we forgive others, God forgives us. And without it, he can't forgive us. And then what we read today and deliver us and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. It's this prayer that we pray today because we don't want to end up in the enemy's trap and have it cost us much more than we ever thought. Deliver us from the things that would want to destroy our relationship with our heavenly father. Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And we close by saying amen. God, let it be. And what we find as we begin to pray this prayer, and if you would make this a regular part of your day, and that's just what I want to challenge you, because it's great to hear a talk on the Lord's Prayer. It's a whole other thing to apply it to your life, and this is what I'd ask of you, is that you would make this a prayer that you would pray every single day. And Throughout this entire series, I've been adding this prayer into my time with God every morning. And it's just given such new value and purpose when I pray it to recognize I do have a father in heaven who loves me and I'm his son. And to pray for his kingdom to come and for his will to be done in our lives. I don't wanna bend my, bend his will towards me and try to get him to jump through all my hoops, but I wanna bend my will towards him. And this is what you'll find as you begin to make this a regular part of your day. You will find a closer relationship with your Father than you ever knew could be. You will find suddenly that you'll have more peace and joy that's filling your life because you've submitted your will to the Father. You'll find yourself recognizing the traps that the enemy has set out because we've prayed this kind of prayer and we've trusted him to provide our every single need. So maybe for you, you write this prayer down and you put it in your car. Or maybe you put it on your mirror as you get ready in the morning or maybe you stick it on the front of your Bible or maybe it's your cubicle and where you work. But I want to encourage you, put this prayer in front of you and begin to pray the prayer that Jesus invites us into and says, this then is how you should pray. And He leads us into it. And I believe as we do that, we will find new relationship with the Father. So would you close your eyes as we get ready to close today? Not that there's anything spiritual about closing our eyes, but it helps us focus right here in this moment. And we just want to take 30 seconds for us to talk to God and God to talk to us. And we believe here at Riverway Church that God can speak directly to our hearts. And it won't be a loud, audible voice, because that'd be weird. But it'll be a voice that would speak quietly right to your heart maybe you're here today and maybe you've never made Christ the leader of your life. Maybe you've never prayed to have your sin forgiven and to know that you are going to spend eternity in heaven. The Bible says that you can know for certainty without a doubt that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. If you would pray a very simple prayer, it would mean it from your heart. A prayer that would include a recognition that he is the Son of God and that he died and rose again if you ask him to forgive your sin he will and he'll give you a brand new start if you will choose to make him the leader of your life and so maybe during this 30 seconds this is your opportunity to pray that kind of prayer and invite a change and a new path and to find that amazing grace or maybe you're here today and you're facing that temptation And that piece of fruit is put out and you haven't seen the trap, but in this moment, you know that God's speaking to your heart about the very thing that could trip you up in your future, your family, or your faith. And today is your prayer to solidify this and to say, God, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. Help me to open my eyes to see it, to run from temptation to go the other way. And if you begin to pray that prayer every single day, God will help you do just that. And so I don't know where you're at, but God does, and that's all that matters. And so for 30 seconds, I want to invite you into this opportunity just to speak to God and let him speak to you. Let's do that right now. Thank you, God, that we can call you Father and that you invite us into relationship. And for those that just prayed that prayer to make you the leader of their life, I pray they would sense this kind of forgiveness and grace deeply today. And they would sense hope that you're now leading the way for them to follow. For those of us that have echoed that prayer to keep us from temptation, God, we thank you for your forgiveness forgiveness. God, we we don't want to go back to the place that we used to be. We don't want to entertain the thoughts and desires that could steal everything from us. So open our eyes and help us to see your protection in our lives and to be obedient to you. And we thank you that you love us enough to put boundaries around our life. With joy, God, that we serve you in this way. And it's in Christ's name we pray. And everyone said.